Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So it's an exciting day after years of preparation and lots of sweat. Agile Conversations, our new book, is out and available. You can find a link in the show notes or just search for Agile Conversations and you'll find an audiobook and a Kindle version and even one of those old physical things that have these things you turn called pages. <laughs> and it's full of all kinds of suggestions of the kind that we've been making for 120 or so episodes here on the podcast. So if you're looking for a, a written version of that, go and have a look. And we're going to be talking about aspects of the book and items from the book for the next few weeks because we're excited about it and we expect that lots of our listeners will be reading it and we'll have questions. So, of course, we like hearing those. And in particular, we had one reader, stroke listener, who came to us with a, a plea. So we thought we'd meet his plea. What, what did he plead with us to do? <laughs> well, this was, uh, as you said, one of our advanced readers. This is uh, Chris Reed. And uh, he put it, something up on Twitter. And uh, one of the elements he said was, don't skip chapter one. Uh, and <laughs> I was happy for him to uh, say that. he We actually had a, of a Slack instance as well for Agile Conversations. And uh, it was been um, available to our pre-readers up to this point, but we'll now open it to everyone. So if you're interested in being part of our Slack, do email us, uh, and the uh, email is uh, on the website. And uh, in that Slack, uh, when he was discussing it, Chris uh, said the point, he said, uh, you know, this history is amazingly important. Thanks for including it. And he also said, I think you should try and find a way to more strongly encourage people to read it in the introduction. So he was encouraging us to build that into the into the book. Unfortunately, at that point, the introduction was set. So yeah, we'd, I, we'd already printed the introduction. So that, that option <laughs> wasn't available. But then we thought, hey, people are listening on the podcast. Here's where That's we right. can make the case for, for reading chapter one. Exactly. So so, so Chris tells you, uh, don't skip chapter one and, and uh, we should encourage people to read it. So here's our, our chance to encourage people. And we, we do encourage you to read it because they, I think the history is important to kind of understand um, why Agile and Lean and DevOps and these various digital transformations so often go astray. And there's a really interesting um, different ways that it can go astray. But I think it in, it in the way they go astray partially is related to the history. Uh, so we we start our history uh, lesson in the software factory, um, uh, going back uh, to where you and I began. Um, and then throughout the chapter, we uh, cover the the various waves that came through software uh, that, as you and I experienced it. And then mm -hmm. uh, look at where we finally end up uh, today. Um, and uh, if people are listening they, to troubleshooting Agile, they know where we ended up is not a place where Agile is being used perfectly everywhere. <laughs> There's still... Or even being used. There, there's things that kind of look like it, but aren't really. And so we, we bring in the uh, John Cutler's idea of the feature factory. You can read more about his, uh, we'll link to his article in the show notes, but uh, we, we bring that full circle. We started in this software factory, which had this very Taylorist point of view. We'll talk more about that. And then we come back to something that maybe has shorter iterations, but otherwise it's all the same stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and we're not going to try to recapitulate all of the history um, and that it's in the chapter. In fact, I don't yeah, know, we, you can read the book. <laughs> exactly. We, we wrote it for reading. And then we're, we're, we're now going to encourage you to read it. But we will, I think we wanted to bring, bring up um, this core element about why we things go astray. And you and I were talking even before we just started this podcast about sort of these two elements and, um, and the, the culture of Taylorism uh, 
and that uh, that we describe and uh, the scientific management as it was called but that's only part of the explanation um and so maybe it's worth saying a bit about the taylorist mindset uh, which we would often describe also as sort of theory X, um, that the uh, management are there to debug the machine of the company. Uh, the workers are interchangeable parts. And um, the job of management then is to be fine-tuning the machine. And you uh, then are monitoring all of the parts to make sure that they're compliant and that they are uh, doing what they're told. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is a role for... Um, uh, motivation here, but it's really just uh, you need to. Uh, the only motivation is of a negative kind, uh, just make sure that people know that you're watching and monitoring their progress. Because if you don't, well, then they'll, you know, they'll they'll just goof off. They, they're, they're no, they're not really interested in, in getting work done. So you yep. you need to be monitoring them all the time to keep them within the specified tolerances. And if you uh, subscribe to this theory, if that's where you start from, then you wind up with a software factory. And that's what we remember, Jeffrey, and I'm sure some of our older listeners with some gray hairs will will remember this environment in which everything came to you and it was all kind of specified up front. And there was a a design document. And after the design document was a database uh, design. And after that was a uh, high level design. And after that was a low level design, eventually actually got to write some code. (laughs) But um, it was um, so specified for you. I remember getting uh, thick manuals in my very first job that really specified where the semicolons should go. It was um, it was it was to that level of detailed um, uh, description. And um, you were a cog in the machine, just turning the dials and and, uh, building um, what we were told to build. What's. both entertaining and disturbing is that people are still doing that. So I have a recent example of a client in the medical field. They're a bit busy right now with all that's happening in the world. But um, at the time I was working with them a year or so ago, their um, focus was on doing an incredible level of uh, detailed uh, analysis before everything they did. And you really did feel like you were in a factory when you walked onto the floor and you just watched the people carefully, carefully specifying each thing. Um, it was almost like you were in one of those clean rooms building a satellite or something. It was very carefully um, uh, architected each thing that you do, um, except when you walked to the end where the salespeople sat and they were crying. <laughs> because they, <laughs> they, their experience was there was nothing new coming out because the process was so incredibly slow. It was incredibly careful, but it was incredibly slow. And, and what's, entertain, what's, what's kind of interesting about this group is that their motivation wasn't this kind of theory X explicitly. It wasn't our people are lazy. It was um, the uh, compliance rules that were under the uh, uh, process of making something that is used medically requires, they thought, this level of uh, very, very detailed analysis that took six months to produce anything. Mm. It turned out when I actually went and talked to the compliance people, they said, actually, we don't care. We're kind of confused why they do quite this much. Uh, uh, what we need is a documented process. So yeah, you could write down something that said, Let's, we're going to release every two weeks. That would be great. Where's that written down? So uh, <laughs> these folks were trapping themselves in the software factory, the kind of thing you and I remember. But they were doing it in, in 2019. And they were doing it thanks to a misunderstanding, as it turned out. That this kind of thing continues um, and, and dresses itself up in agile clothes. And I think that's a good point, which is it's no longer what um, it, what you would call an overarching theory. 
And I think this is the big change is that uh, in the 90s, uh, it was uh, an explicit overarching theory that this was the rational, correct way to approach. Uh, it was a, the mainstream view was this kind of um, carefulness, this kind of care and attention was scientifically provably correct. It, it, it didn't work well in practice, but that was the dogma. And, and it was explicit and it was something that people could reference. Of course, we're supposed to specify this. This is the way we, we avoid errors that will cost us more later. It, but, so now when people do it, it's usually because they've, they've fallen into it, that it has, there's some elements that are attractive, but it's no longer the dominant paradigm. Instead, people have been uh, come to learn, okay, this, this doesn't work. We need to do something different. We need to, to be faster, more responsive. Um, this agile, lean, DevOps stuff all sounds good. We want to move there. But uh, so now we hit a different problem as, as they've lost that overarching theory. In fact, they've kind of lost in a sense of any theory at all, but they know what they want to get as far as outcomes. And this leads now into this other area we described as being a problem, which is quote unquote cargo culting. Um, what, what, I think we've talked about cargo cult before, but for people who may not have heard that episode, you know, can you tell us about what is, what's cargo cults and what, what's cargo cult agile? Sure. So uh, this is a concept I first heard about from James Shore. You tell me, like everything else in the world, it was on the C2 wiki originally, uh, which I'm certainly <laughs> willing to believe. The idea is that um, just like the specific islanders, and you can read about them, we'll put a link in the show notes, who after World War II would put on their pictures of them. So this is not made up. This is actually true. They would make uh, headphones out of coconuts and build runways out of um, whatever they had around in the in the area, just you know, ash or, or uh, uh, gravel or whatever, and they would get these sticks and they would try to signal the planes in. Of course, there weren't any planes coming. The, the, what they had experienced was this mysterious group of people who showed up with all this uh, amazing cargo, these great results for them, um, these uh, knives and, and tools and things that uh, they couldn't uh, imagine in their uh, uh, level of, uh, of development. And they wanted them back again. So they thought, well, the thing that happened was that people signaled the planes and the planes came and the planes brought the cargo. So we'll just do the same thing and the planes will show up. Of course, no planes ever show up. <laughs> and the, uh, the uh, analogy is that when people grab a bunch of agile practices, they will say, all right, so what we're supposed to do is stand up. So we're going to stand up every morning. Okay, good. And everybody stand up. Hmm. We don't seem to have gotten any faster. Well, let's see. How about now we're also supposed to hold a planning game. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, order our official planning poker cards. We'll make sure they're the right color and we'll get the right things. And now we're playing planning poker, but we don't seem to be any faster and we don't seem to be getting anything done. Oh, maybe you know what we should do is we should agile harder. We should yeah. <laughs> uh, stand up higher on our tiptoes. We should have different color planning poker cards. And they keep looking for um, more of the actions that they can take, just like the Islanders might try to make their, their um, coconut headphones more realistic and, and make them better. That, that's not the method that's going to help you with the problem because you're not dealing with the problem, which is that the, um, the the attitudes and the conversations and the culture are missing. And you can't create that by um, uh, holding a different type of retrospective or grooming your backlog differently. And it's, it's, and it's not that these approaches never work. I think this is kind of the interesting point for me is that um, these uh, cargo cult approaches, part of the reason they proliferate is that some people are able to do them productively. You know, they, they, they put these practices in place and then the, the humans around there make them work, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's one of the characteristics of people. And this is one of the um, uh, things we talk about in this, in chapter one is uh, sort of the, the attributes of people. And one of the attributes of people that's very important is that they want to make projects succeed. 
And uh, so you'll have people who will use the openings that are created by the adoption of processes who, to, to try to make it work. And they, they sometimes can do that. Um, and, and so I think it's important to recognize that there are times when people put these practices in place. And in fact, they, they do get better results, not so much because of the practice, but because the, the humans involved now are maybe having different conversations and maybe they're, um, uh, you know, just working hard to, to fill any gaps and make sure good things happen. And, and of course, the practices do create the opportunity to do that. So we're not saying yes. those things are bad to do. Don't hold right. stand-ups or, you know, don't don't have a backlog. That's not what we're saying. But uh, what happens is if you only rely on those things and you expect that some magic will happen, you're relying on magic. It, you're relying on exactly yeah. something magically happening. And, and that's not um, uh, that's not very scientific. That's not very <laughs> likely to work. That's right. And that's, and I think the problem here is it's about what's visible and what's invisible. And what's visible are, okay, that team had these reports and these metrics and they did these practices. Oh, and they, they'd gotten certified in, in this. Oh, these must be the important elements. Let's go ahead and take those to this other team and then, um, or this other organization and apply them the same way. Oh, look, we're not getting the same results. Why is that? We must, we must have the wrong mix of rituals and processes. Maybe we had the wrong consultant in. Maybe we missed a certain training. Um, maybe there's other metrics we should be tracking. They or or for... you know what? We've done a lot of that. And, and maybe this Agile stuff, it actually just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it worked over there, yeah. but maybe it can't work here. No, it's not going to work for us. Yeah. <laughs> so so they, it's, it's this a weird thing where, where people had the theory uh, of scientific management. It, it wasn't a good theory, but it was, it, you know, it, it, it had, it was a theory. And then they've, they've lost a sense of theory about what makes things work. And they've kind of gone through this culture culture approach of, okay, we pick up all of these um, uh, tr visible trappings. And then when, and it, when it fails to work, they're kind of left about what to do next, other than, as you say, you know, agile harder, you know, DevOps more. What we're, uh, uh, lining up in this chapter more than anything else is that, look, it comes back to these elements of people. And if we want to um, make something happen with people, we have to care about their characteristics. And we, we close the chapter with uh, talking about a framework that you and I talked about recently on this podcast, which is the Kinevin framework. Mm -hmm. And um, in their uh, uh, listeners uh, will recall the Kinevin framework talks about problems as being in, in different uh, domains. And so there's the simple domain, um, complicated, complex, and chaos. And then there's the uh, uh, disorder domain. And the uh, point that we make in the uh, book here is that when you're dealing with people, you know, the human, you're, you're very much dealing with things that are not simple. People are not simple. <laughs> mm -hmm. we, we, when you go in and say the same things to different people, you get very different responses. <laughs> okay. They're, and, and people aren't even complicated. Like there's no uh, person out there. There's no expert that can come in and tell you uh, everything about every person on your team. There's no one who can come and say, okay, I, I know humans well enough. I understand everything there is to do about humans. And if we just make these tweaks, uh, we'll now get these humans running correctly. I know so, all their Myers-Briggs types. So once I know that, I know exactly how to put them together <laughs> and then the, the machine will run smoothly. Yes. Just pay me a few uh, thousand pounds. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't work. Brilliant. And it's, you know, we, we're kind of maybe uh, seeing what some of the attraction of consultants, which is the they, they claim that this stuff is really just complicated, that there's a question of expertise. But in, in practice, uh, my experience has been that humans are very 
squarely uh, uh, in the complex domain <laughs> that there's uh, that there's feedback loops that there's emergent behavior that there's properties that it's sometimes very difficult to predict what's going to happen uh, although when you look back it has retrospective coherence you can understand how the team ended up there <laughs> but it would have been very hard to predict it ahead of time and so what do we do if we have this complex environment well we need to be uh, trying different experiments. We need to sense and respond. And uh, how do we do that? Guess what? We, we have an idea and it's something that our listeners will have heard from us many times, which is we need to have conversations. What a crazy idea. And one of the challenging things about adopting that, of course, if you're in the kind of cargo cult feature factory mode, is that you're you're probably looking for metrics and things that you can measure and look at and, and uh, determine how well your factory is running. And the challenging thing is that there's not a JIRA plugin for conversational quality, right? <laughs> so... Oh. But I, no, I'm, not, I'm thinking there could be. You know, we, we were there talking be. about this yeah. be, before this, that, that why don't people look for evidence in their conversations? Maybe that's something that change will happen from the book if people will start saying, hey, am I being curious? Am I being transparent? And you could poll the team. You know, you could say from our standup today, <laughs> here's, a, here's a poll. You know, to what extent were you curious? To what extent were you transparent today? Count the number of genuine questions to ask today. That would be exactly. an interesting metric, but it yeah. would be a qualitative metric. It wouldn't be rigorous in the way that uh, a burn-up chart or story points or something like that is, um, and and therefore it's going to be um, more challenging to adopt. That's that's why the, uh, the 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 theories and ideas in the book we think are are going to be tough for people to adopt, but really really rewarding when they do, because it does require a sea change in your thinking. You have to think about conversations as a and people as first class elements of your software organization, and that's a huge shift. Yeah. So hopefully um, people now will have some sense of uh, why they'd want to read chapter one. It's it's going to give you uh, the history of the industry going back from the '90s to today. It will talk about. Uh, these different um, waves that have come through. Uh, and we talk a lot about their people-centric nature, about how each in their own way was leveraging the properties and powers of humans. But then uh, when they, they end up being missed either because their people go back to the Taylorist type mindset, usually by accident more than design, or they end up focusing on kind of a cargo cult approach and miss that human you know, uh, centric nature of these processes. And when they, they leave the humans out of the equations and then wonder why they don't get the results. Uh, we're trying to help people bring the humans, you know, back front and center and say, by the way, there's techniques and skills you can learn to work effectively with these things that are otherwise uh, invisible. Sounds great. Well, if you're human and work with humans, then uh, this book's for you. So please have a look at it, Agile Conversations, link in the show notes, or just search Google. And of course, we also like hearing from you. So you can find us at conversationaltransformation.com. Also, agileconversations.com works, thanks to someone who was very kind to sell it to us a, a few months ago. So you can find us at any of those website addresses, and you can email us and tweet us and carrier pigeon us and anything else you want. And we'd love to hear your stories of working with humans where you've been stuck in a feature factory and uh, what uh, difficulties you're having in uh, addressing that and um, uh, questions you have about the book. So please do get in touch with us. We also are here every week, and we're going to be talking about each 
chapter of the book uh, as we as we go, or at least the highlights as we did today. And uh, we're going to go through trust and fear and why and commitment and accountability, all the conversations that we cover in the book. So if that sounds interesting, the best way to make sure you hear us every Wednesday is to hit the subscribe button or whatever it is you use uh, and make sure that uh, you're listening to us each week as we come out for Troubleshooting Agile. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Grant.